This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You are listening to the 4000 Holes Podcast, brought to you by the people at brfcs.com and sponsored by the lovely people at The Terrace. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the What Now podcast, part of the 4,000 Halls podcast series here. I'm real host, Roger Whiteside, joined by my usual guest, James Marsh, Ian Herbert and Matt Grimshaw. And we have a packed show for you once again this evening. How are we, gentlemen? Very well, thank you. Super, Good. thank you, Roger. Looking forward to the new tax year, obviously. That's, the, that's going to be the main topic of conversation, is that right? Am I on the so- wrong podcast? The wrong podcast, that one. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, just uh, to bring you up to speed with the touch over the last few weeks, uh, we've uh, enjoyed a little mini break, as the players have done with the uh, the international break. So just to bring us back up to speed, we've going to start with section one with uh, where were we? Which uh, I must admit, I had to remind myself where were we going into the Birmingham City match at the weekend, where uh, we unfortunately uh, were beaten by one goal to nil at St Andrews. Ian, you uh, saw the match. Uh, initial thoughts after the international break? A bit of a disappointment coming back to a defeat. Yeah, huge disappointment. I think you know we, we, we had a performance against Reading, which was dominant, <clears throat> but not reflected in the scoreline. We had a performance against Sheffield, which was brave, but not reflected in the scoreline. And then we had a performance against Birmingham, <laughs> which was supine, abject, and it was reflected in the scoreline. We kind of got what we deserved, really. There was just that overarching sense of foreboding you kind of knew what was coming and the fact that Kadra scored it I think added insult to injury the fact that he scored it notwithstanding that he played abysmally for the game that was the only contribution of note that he made and somehow he threaded it through the uh, the forest of legs as they say into the corner and there was just no reaction <clears throat> as as there is well, yeah, we've only come back from one uh, a goal down away from home once haven't we at West Brom and that was that free kick from Brereton Diaz. Do you know he made the substitutions and he was just hoping for sort of spark something to change the pattern of of the game and it it didn't if anything it entrenched us even worse. So I think it was just a, another yet another in this season of binary emotions, yet another oh Rovers you've just let me down again. Just when just when you you sucked me in and you lured me in with the prospect of good stuff. 
I could, I, I've, I've kind of got my head round the Sheffield United defeat. It, with that, again, that was that was a, a bitter pill to swallow, but kind of got my head round it. But performances like that one against Birmingham just make you sort of think: well, if we got in the playoffs, what would happen to us? Because yeah. if we go a goal down in both games, you know, <laughs> we're, we're doomed right from the off. So all the all the to talk about would well, be great to get in the playoffs. Yes, it would, but we need to get our act together to uh, to perform better in circumstances like that. So yeah, hugely disappointing, big letdown. Need to get back on it, of course. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely disappointing, Matt. Just looking for some positives, though. Bradley Dak back on the bench. Also, some of the results on Saturday, I felt, went for us. A very fortuitous run of uh, results with uh, Luton beating Watford 2-0. There was also a win for Stoke away at uh, Coventry 4-0. Obviously, Huddersfield were 4-2 winners over Middlesbrough. Norwich also getting beat 1-0 by Sheffield United. And West Brom and Millwall drawing. So in terms of actually what happened in our league position, on Saturday, we we weren't too badly affected. Do you think we were clutching at straws for some positives, or do you think it's just a chance for the Rovers fans to perhaps, you know, just get those feet back on the ground and 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 let's move on? Yeah, I think we've definitely got away with one there um, with the results that you mentioned, but I can't help but think it's a very big missed opportunity. I, I can't. I don't think it'll happen again for the rest of the season, where the teams around us drop points and give us a chance to to extend the gap. And I think, I think, yeah, it's, it's a missed opportunity. But obviously, it's not like, like you say; it's not really affected us too much. It's a bit of a bit of a free hit, if you will. And James, coming to you, any thoughts on the game that uh, we've not touched on? Um, no, I agree with all points. Really, it just seemed like it wasn't our day on Saturday. Um, our XG was quite high, but the positives from that was Bradley Deck was back on the bench, and the results just went in our favour, which. Kind of a let off, really. Yeah, I heard some reports. Obviously, I unfortunately didn't see the game. I got back late from holiday on uh, on Friday night, so I was <laughs> a little bit in that holiday uh, malaise all of Saturday. Uh, but uh, Ian, coming to you, you saw more of the game than we did. Uh, Sober Thomas, some re- uh, reaction to him when he came on. Uh, not very impressive. Obviously, Ben Burton looked a bit tired from his uh, chilly exploits. They all looked so, a bit so- under the weather, to be perfectly honest. Uh, yeah, when you're looking for eight and nine out of ten performances, we seem to put together a string of five or sixes. If I'm being generous, <clears throat> the defence looked pretty sound. I thought I think there's a, there's a burgeoning partnership there with Hyam and Carter, who was particularly impressive on Saturday. The midfield had the same issues that we we always seem to have when we've got Tyler Morton in there. He, yeah, he looks very elegant, but he doesn't move the ball quickly. He's not really got much of a physical presence. And he loses it all too often. Uh, Trav seemed to be working hard, but to little effect. And then up front, we were just toothless, absolutely toothless. Yeah, the substitutions, as we, as I said earlier, didn't really change anything. So you thought, well, with Sorber Thomas is coming out, he needs to run at them and get the ball in the middle and try and create something for Gallagher. I thought he was that was his weakest performance so far since he, since he joined us. Um, um, yeah, Brereton Diaz... Uh, you know, taking a knock in the Chile game, he'd had obviously two long flights to get out there and get back, and he he just looked jaded. But again, I'm, my my concern with him is how much of him, how much of his mental capacity, has now so slowly moving to Via Via Real. Um, I mean, you know, he must be in the back of his mind. I, I, you know, he's a professional. I'm sure he will do, he will do his best, but you know, he it, it must be a little bit distracted at, at best, really. So, yeah, it was a bit just. So frustrating. 
Somehow I turn them over there, don't I? <laughs> Matt, we've I know we've talked on the uh, the podcast in recent times, maybe not the last episode, but a couple of episodes before then about Tyler Morton. And I know you're a little bit on the fence when it comes to Tyler Morton. He seems to be the uh, the sort of the the one getting all the stick on the on the BRFCS forums and and on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, the future at the club. I mean, you know, are we are we too reliant on him now? Buckley's injured, or do you have any thoughts on Morton? Is he unfairly treated? Yeah, I think. <clears throat> sorry, I think there's a bit of a a bit of a mixture when it comes to him because, yeah, he's not the best performer on pitch. I do think, uh, especially if it was as Ian alluded it to being, everybody was sort of average, especially in the Birmingham game. I think I think he's a bit of a scapegoat. Um, in terms of being reliant on him, I'm not sure if it's reliance or if it's him just persistently getting picked. I mean, there's a there's a figure in the squad, Adam Wharton, who obviously has been spoke about and brought up quite a lot when it comes to Tyler Morton as sort of playing, you know, instead of him. And I think it, I think it is more he just seems to be getting picked instead of um, instead of we're relying on him, but. Yeah, there's obviously with Buckley's injury, like you mentioned, there isn't many options, and he is probably one of the better options that we've got there. But I mean, there's, there's Garrett who's always on bench as well. I think there is other options. So in terms of reliance, I don't think we're reliant on him, but he does always seem to be getting picked for for whatever reason. Yeah, I suppose that's another reason why a uh, Lewis O'Brien-shaped hole in the squad looms large as well at this time. James, just also another thing from Saturday that uh, some people may have overlooked: um, Ainsley pairs being the first-choice goalkeeper over Thomas Kaminsky. It's hard to argue against that decision, really, at the moment, isn't it? You think Pear's still deserving of his uh, spot in the squad, even though Kaminsky's back from fitness or back from injury? Um, I I do think Pear should carry on in goal. Um, he hasn't done anything wrong to warrant himself getting dropped. Um, but, so yeah, I, I wouldn't change it personally. I just think... Yeah, yeah, he hasn't done anything wrong, so why drop him? Ian, your uh, resident uh, goalkeeping expert on this uh, podcast, <laughs> there, there, there was a that? time in my youth when I I would don the green jersey and put the gloves on, and then I stopped growing because I had to stop going in goal because people kept chipping me from twenty yards, which was <laughs> very unsporting. I think the interesting question is is less about who he picks at the moment; it's who does he give a new contract to, or who does he sell in the summer. Um, because I think you know you've got two keepers there. Each of them will think they've done enough to deserve being the number one choice. Um, it, it does leave a in- very interesting question. I suspect they'll stick with Kaminsky and try and sell pairs, but pairs has youth on his side, of course. So that that's an interesting question which we could throw out there for responses. Yes, I mean, I personally, I still think Kaminsky is my number one who I'd want to be in, in the position uh, if we were having a big playoff semi-final, say, or a playoff final or a match to get to the playoffs. I still think his time will come back in. Hopefully it's not at the expense of a pair's howler, which <laughs> I know we've, uh, we all remember the Wigan away game last year in the FA Cup, but uh, one to just keep an eye on. But yeah, in terms of a day at the office, not quite what uh, Rovers had in mind on Saturday. But hey, we'll look onwards and upwards and uh, going to move on to section two now to talk about contracts. Ah, the sizzle of McDonald's sausage. It's enough to make you crave your favourite breakfasts. Enough to head over to McDonald's. Enough to make you really wish this commercial were scratch and sniff. 
And if you're a sausage person, now get two satisfyingly savory sausage McGriddles, sausage biscuits, or sausage burritos for just $3.33. Or mix and match. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to section two here of the 4,000 Holes What Now podcast, where we're going to be talking about the big news, uh, the big news items from over the international break, which was contracts, 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 and more contracts. Uh, I have them written down here just to remind you, the 21st of March saw Jake Garrett get a new four-year deal. The 22nd of March saw Jordan Eastham signed a two-year deal, the uh, youth goalkeeper Jordan Eastham. Another young goalkeeper, Joe Hilton, he signed a two-year deal on the 28th of March. On the 29th of March, Scott Wharton signed a four-year deal. And on the 30th of March, Hayden Carter signed a four-year deal. Now, these go along with the earlier contracts given out this season, which uh, Adam Wharton signed a five-year contract in September. John Buckley signed a five-year contract in September. Ashley Phillips signed a three-year contract in September. Jack Vale signed a three-year contract in October. And Jake Batty also signed a three-year contract in October, leaving, by my calculations, just two players out of contract at the end of next season, which uh, two players that we spoke about quite regularly on this podcast, Ainsley Pears and Joe Rankin-Costello. They're the only two who perhaps would be looking to renew the contracts in the short term. Of course, you've got a few players out of contract at the end of this year, like uh, Ayala and Bradley Dack. But uh, I'll come to you first, Matt, in terms of contract talks, good for the club, good to tie down some of these younger players. Any contracts there that surprise you or any that you're particularly happy with? I think... Um... As someone who I quite like watching the academy games, and when I can, I'll, I'll, I'll try and find the 21s games to watch. Um, and it's and yeah, it's really good that we're tying down the next, so probably the next generation. Um, Jake Batty, you mentioned there, I think he's he's one definitely one for the future. And uh, any football manager players out there will know just how good he is in a few years' time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it is good that we're we're tying them down, and it's it's um, it's refreshing after we've seen. Players like Rothwell and Lenny Han leave for free. It is nice that we are, you know, sorting it out and thinking ahead for the future, not just for the here and now. Is there one of those names in particular that you're you're delighted with that uh, you woke up and read the news during the international break and thought, yeah, you know what, I'm really pleased with that. I think the one, and it's not one that people expect, but the one that I actually am, I, I sort of saw it and I thought, oh, that's really good. I'm I'm surprised that he's signed a new contract. It was a bit unexpected, but I actually am a big fan of Jordan Easton. Um, I think he's a good keeper, uh, and, I, and I'm not really sure why he's not he's not been in around the first team a bit more. Because whenever I've seen him, he has he has impressed me a lot, especially his distribution, which over my years watching Rovers has been something that I, I think uh, our goalkeepers have lacked a little bit. Um, I suppose yeah, it's a bit a bit of an out there one. Not not really many people would have expected him to stay out with thought. Um, that was the one that I was most pleased with because I'm quite a big fan of him. Yeah, I spoke to a, a, a guy who watches a lot of uh, youth football like yourself, Matt, uh, earlier on today, and he said that he likes Jordan Easton. It sort of reminds him a little bit of a, a, a David Rea side with, uh, with his distribution. Uh, maybe height, I suppose, is one of those things that often gets criticised as Jordan Easton. But could you see him next year, perhaps, if we, like we spoke about just earlier, just then, about maybe one of Pears or Kaminsky moving on? Could you see him being a second-choice keeper next year? Does he need to go out on loan, do you think? I think he's definitely good enough to certainly sit on the bench, at least, I think. Um, I, yeah, I can't see why not. 
uh, we, we seem to trust the academy quite well. We, we chuck a lot of them in the first team, like whether our choice or uh, or not, it's up for debate. But yeah, I think he could. Um, I think he'd definitely do a job as a backup keeper if if one of them is to go in some. Excellent, James. Coming to you with the list: Garrett, Easton, Hilton, Wharton, Scott Wharton. That was and uh, Hayden Carter. Any one particularly that uh, you're pleased with with the international break contract signing extravaganza? Uh, Hayden Carter is the one that stands out for me. I just think he's really cemented himself now in that in that starting eleven, in that centre back pairing, um, and with Ayala going, well, we presume he'll be going. Ready made replacement, ready to go. Really, um, I think him and Hayim's partnership is a good partnership, and a partnership we could see for quite a while. Um, he- Sorry. I say, are you? Uh, yeah, I was going to come to you and talk about Ayala. He's the sort of elephant in the room with contracts, really, because I think uh, I'm right in saying that Bradley Dack has a one year option on his deal at the end of this year that uh, Rovers could trigger. But, you know, if you said start of the season again, Ayala, he was in, he was having a good run of form, he, he was fit, he looked good. And then typically in his Rovers stay injuries have sort of curtailed his season and curtailed his form. You happy to let, let Ayala go at the end of the season? Uh, I am. Um... I think he is one of our highest earners as well, um, but it, he's just too injury prone, injury prone for me. When he's fit and playing, he's probably one of the league's best centre backs, but he's just too injury prone for me. And I think the wages we pay Ayala, pay Ayala can be spread out better elsewhere. Maybe some new, maybe a couple of new signings. Yeah, I mean, a bit you mentioned about Hayden Carter and how impressed you've been. I'm, sport, I'm sure we've all been impressed with Carter, and he seems to, like you say, compliment Hyam very well there at the back. Is is Carter the second choice, do you think, now in the club when everyone's fit? Is he the second best centre back? I think so. I think uh, I think Scott's quite good as well, but I think he's struggling a little bit, maybe just struggling with t- instructions or tactics. I'm just not getting round to the idea, but again, getting him tied down to a new four-year deal, a homegrown, homegrown boy, not from Blackburn, supports Blackburn. I think that was a good good move as well. Ian, comes to you on the contracts uh, on that list. Anybody that stands out for you? Anybody that uh, you felt <laughs> was a little bit surprising to give them a deal or anything that you're not too happy with? I think the phrase closing the stable door after the horse has bolted when it comes to contract renewals is possibly, <laughs> possibly what I'd say. Uh, we've learned a lesson. So I suppose that that's one good thing. We, we, we're actually, I, I just quickly looked up, it's 11 contract renewals since Greg Broughton came in the building. But unfortunately, he's not been able to secure the ones probably that we all wanted, which were the, were the guys that uh, that disappeared last summer. Uh, so very, very positive. I think it, it sends out the right message. And, and also it helps, got to help our recruitment if people can see a pathway from um, putting their kids through the academy, actually making it to the first team. And and then becoming first team regulars, that's obviously the ideal. There's something about a homegrown player in your side as well that I think is is always really heartwarming. Uh, I've just one observation about one of the players that were released, and it's on very, very scant evidence. But I went to the um, pre season friendly at Lincoln, given its proximity to where I live, uh, back in August, or was it July even? Um, and there was, they brought on a young lad there, Jared Harlock who really caught my eye that day. Uh, and I thought, wow, he's really something. And I've been, I've been to the Stanley pre-season friendly as well and saw Adam um, Wharton 
um, and Jake Garrett sort of impress as well. And I thought there's three midfielders that that really have something that gels together. That they they look really really promising. And there are people that go to watch academy games, which I don't, uh, who, who I think express some surprise at Harlock being released. Uh, but he just it just on, like I say it's scant evidence. It was just on one game, and I'm by no means a football expert scout. Uh, but the, I just thought he had a lovely touch and a lovely technique, and he found space and he played some nice passes. And I thought, yeah, he's one to watch. And as it's transpired, we're watching him out the door. So I think that yeah, I don't know. It's a surprise to say it's 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 based purely on that that one eyeballing of him. But uh, I wish him well because on that particular day, he certainly looked a talent. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I suppose they've not been officially released at the moment, so we, he may sign a contract or he may get offered something, but we don't know. But yeah, we're going off what we've heard. Matt, you you've seen uh, Harlock in the uh, the under twenty ones. You surprised that he may be leaving the door? It looks like he's going to be uh, walking out the door. Yeah, I mean, I'm very surprised to be honest. I think you watch a lot of the training videos; he's he's always there within around the first team. And um, I mean, I was at the Porto game. Uh, he got he actually got sent off in the first half in that game, um, and yet he was still for me one of the best players on the pitch. Even though he played less than 45 minutes, um, yeah, he he was really good then. And uh, every game that I've sort of seen him, yeah, he, he is good, and he's one that I thought maybe would have been in and around the first team this season. Uh, maybe that's probably why you know, that might be why they're deciding that he's probably not going to stay. But yeah, it's it's surprising and a little bit disappointing. But um, I mean, you just got to trust that the club know what they're doing, and with all the other contracts, they don't really give us a reason not to trust them at the minute. No, absolutely not. Just uh, as my job here as sort of presenter and also to try and provoke a little bit of a conversation with you. Does anybody agree with me and feel that perhaps Scott Wharton is a little bit lucky to get a four-year deal, 25-year-old? If you're going to be in the Premier League and you want to be at the top end of the Championship, is he that sort of defender? I don't know whether it's just me, Ian. You sort of have an opinion on Scott. Do you think he's lucky to get a four-year deal? Do you think no, it was I think the right thing to do? I think he's a, sol- he's a solid Championship defender. He's left-footed, which I think marks him out as being having a characteristic which is less common, shall we say. Um, on his day, and we've seen him play really, really well. He's a fabulous centre back. He's had rough patches of form this year, but as they say, you know, form is temporary, class is permanent. If we if we were to go up, uh, would he be a regular starter in a Premier League team? Probably not. Would he be very handy to have round the squad? Absolutely. If we were to be one of those clubs, if we were to go up and come straight back down, would you want him in the championship for the ensuing promotion campaign? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I think it's one of those situations where how much would you have to spend to get someone better? And I think, yeah, the the, the Dominic Hyam sig- signature looks cheap as chips now with every passing week. I think we capitalised on Coventry's cash flow problems there, and we've probably got a five million centre-back for uh, less than half of that. So... As, as always, and we, we haven't really talked about Bradley Dack yet, so I'm, I'm going to chuck that into the mix now. You know, do you do you offer um, do you and do you trigger the contract extension for Bradley Dack and tie a large chunk of wages up? No, let him go. Let's free those wages up. Is one argument okay? So we let him go, and we've got those wages. Where do you get somebody in who's better than him? And that, that's that's the challenge. That's the real difficulty that that Rovers have got. So I, I, I think I'd let Ayala go. 
Uh, I think I'd. I think personally, I would offer Dak a two-year deal on reduced terms, but I, I would expect him to turn that down. But it's going to be really difficult to get somebody with better technique and more talent than he has. No, I suppose Saturday proved again that he came on and at least as an option off the bench for the last 10 minutes to sort of go and try and uh, loiter in the opposition penalty box and and create a moment which could lead to a goal. Then I suppose Dak is as good as anyone for that. James, would you keep Dak? I mean, personally, I'm I'm a bit on the fence, a bit like Ian. Perhaps I'd, I'd probably offer him a, a chance, but maybe not. But do you think Dak still, without wanting to go down the Bradley Dak route, which we've spoke about all season, it seems like, but uh, you know, has he got it? Has he still got it? Was the best way to play? Does he fit into the system, etc.? But would you give Dak a, a, a deal next year, even if just a, an extension? I would. I think he's an, an incredible character to probably have around the place. You always see on Rob's social media how much he gels in with the group, how active he's in the group, how social he is. Um, I just I think his footballing brain and his technique is still one of the best in, in the division. I think he's lost a couple of yards of pace due to his injuries, but in terms of his footballing brain and his intelligence, it's top notch. I don't think he suits the system as well as Sammy Schroddick does, but. Like like Ian said, I would probably offer him a two-year deal on reduced terms, which I think he would turn down. But if he was to leave in the summer, it wouldn't surprise me if he go, goes and joins his old boss, Tony, up in the northeast. I suppose if Tony's still there in, oh, yeah. in, in the summer. Just finally, just a quick word, yes or no. The next, well, in fact, I'll say, uh, give me a player. Who's the next person who you would give a contract to, Pears or Rankin Costello? James? Uh, Ranking Costello. Ian? JRC. Matt? Yeah, I, I have to agree with, with both of them. Yeah, Ranking Costello has got to be He's one of the best players in the team at the minute. He feels like the next person who needs to uh, to sign uh, the contract. But again, I suppose it's that million-dollar question. Do you give Ranking Costello three years, four years, based on what he's shown over the last three years? And he's just coming into a good vein of form now. But certainly on, on recent form, he, he has to be the next one. So hopefully by the time we record the next uh, what now podcast JRC will have signed on the dotted line. Moving on to section three. You are listening to the 4,000 Holes podcast. No longer just a fanzine. As a major research institution, Arizona State University offers the most online bachelor's degree programs, along with world-class faculty and dedicated support. Discover why ASU is ranked number one in innovation for nine consecutive years. Tap to learn more. Welcome back. And this is the part of the show where we look ahead to the Easter weekend, always a traditional weekend in the footballing calendar, where two games in quick succession and uh, promotions and relegations get confirmed or at least uh, become more apparent to the clubs in and around those positions. Also, a chance for some teams to be promoted this weekend if uh, my mathematics is cor- correct our neighbours from down the M65 may be promoted this season they have a double header away at uh, Schiff, sorry, home Sheffield United and away at Middlesbrough enough about them, let's talk about Rovers for the time being and the two big games Good Friday and Easter Monday James, come to you first on this one, Norwich and Huddersfield are you confident, are you excited, are you looking forward to it? Nervous if Nervous. anything, um I was I was confident about Huddersfield, and then they turned over Middlesbrough, so that 
makes me nervous that one and you don't know which Norwich is going to turn up um, so I am nervous but I think I think tickets are selling quite well for Friday's game which hopefully gives the players a bit of a boost and our home for our home record is exceptional I think we're the third best in the league so I think I'd I think we'll win on Friday. I don't want to jinx myself, but I think we'll win on Friday and I would be, I would be happy with the draw against Huddersfield, which sounds bizarre, but after they beat Millersworth 4-2, I think I would be happy with the draw. Yeah, I saw on Twitter today that uh, the Huddersfield away game is now sold out for Rovers fans, so be a good, uh, good following over in Yorkshire on Monday for a lunchtime kickoff. because guess what, ladies and gentlemen, we are on Sky Sports once again. Sky Sports uh, Rovers. Guy Sports Rovers indeed. Matt, uh, two fixtures over the weekend, the Easter weekend, Norwich and Huddersfield. Are you, are you as equally confident as James of uh, some performance on Friday? Is it a good chance to bounce back at home to a team who are not only in a little bit of uh, up and down form themselves, but also a sort of playoff six-pointer, if you will? Yeah, it's a good chance to bounce back, but it's also a good, a good chance to make a statement for the rest of the season, I think, if we can you know, put in a good performance, get a solid result, a couple past them, really, you know, show the rest of the league that we mean business. Hopefully that's that's what we do and that should be the motivation that they've got. Um, obviously, a long bouncing back from that disappointing one. Uh, in terms of Huddersfield, uh, like like was just, just being said, really, I sat watching uh, Jeff Stelling telling me um, that Huddersfield have put four past Middlesbrough. I couldn't believe it. It was, yeah, unbelievable from them. Um but I do think we'll win that one. I think hopefully they um, they just had a, good, a really, really good day and they go back to what they've been like for the rest of the season. And, and um, it should be on paper uh, six points. I'm going to say f- because of uh, Norwich's you know, form and the Pookie decision as well today. Uh, we can't look, overlook that one because I think saying that he's going to leave is a bit is a bit weird with obviously their season not yet decided uh, as they obviously are builders in seven. Um, so hopefully that plays a factor as well, and hopefully it puts him it puts him off his game a little bit because you know, we all know what Timu Puki can do on his day. Yeah, I remember you might remember famously saying before the Sheffield United match in the league, I said to some people that I don't think or not often you get it where a team in the championship beats another team in the championship three times in the same season, such as the level uh, where we're playing at. A lot of teams are very similar. Of course, we've already beaten Norwich City twice this season, away 2-0 in the league. And I think it was 1-0 in the cup, if memory serves, with uh, Mark Hande scoring. Ian, can we make it three out of three against the Canaries this weekend? Do we get to keep them then if we beat them three times in the season? Is that how it works? <laughs> it's something a bit like, like the that, old yeah. World Cup trophy. Um, I, I'm going to be the angel of doom here, aren't I? I I'm really worried about the, the Norwich game. I, I would, in ordinary circumstances, have been worried about the Huddersfield one, but I think they peaked the week too soon. And I think we're due a result at Huddersfield. But I am nervous about the Norwich one. If we were to get a draw at home to Norwich and beat Huddersfield, I'd probably take that, to be perfectly honest. Um, the Norwich one is one of those... Well, we, as, as so often with Rovers this season, we need to score first, don't we? Mm-hmm. We absolutely need to score first and draw them out and then try and catch them on the break. If good Rovers turn up, it should be an absolutely cracking game. If bad Rovers turn up, I fear for what might happen uh, and then the hangover that that would have on Monday. So let's have us hanging on grimly for a draw at home against Norwich and hanging on grimly perhaps for a 1-0 away win at Huddersfield. 
You do feel as though, or I, certainly I feel as though, I'm sure you agree, uh, Matt, Ian, and James, that the home form is going to be the key if Rovers going to finish in the playoffs. They've got five games left at home. Is it three away games? Tough games, both home and away, but particularly the home ones. Looking at the league table in front of me now, we've got fourth place Luton still to play at home. Of course, we play Burnley at home, who are top of the league. Norwich in seventh at home. Coventry in eighth at home. Hull, who are a little bit uh, dropped off, but on the day are as good as anyone. Obviously, the Huddersfield game has got a little bit of a wrinkle now as well, with the fact that Reading have been demoted points. Uh, six points uh, removed for them means that Huddersfield are now just level on points with Cardiff, one point behind Reading, two points behind Rother, and only three points behind QPR, who are the team that are falling like a, dropping like a stone in the championship. James, you think you agree with me in terms of that the home form's the key? Do you think... Rovers have got to rely on the home form. You know, you, you're thinking maybe three or four wins is going to be good enough to get us into the playoffs. Can they win four of the five home games? It's a, it's a tough ask, isn't it? Um, it's what it's going to take. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, a win against Norwich and Hull. And then I'd take a win against Norwich and Hull and a draw against the other two. Because I think Coventry are just... I think on Coventry's day, you know, you got guy. I can't say his name. The striker that's just... Jokeras. That's the one. And then you've got Hamer, and I just think Coventry will be a lot harder than probably Norwich would. Interesting. Obviously, they're on the same number of points, though. And I just... I think, yeah, winning against Norwich and Hull and a draw against Luton and Coventry would be a good set of results. I feel so, again, as a Rovers fan, Matt, that you may agree with this, that... Of all the fixtures that Rovers have left, it seems like we're playing a lot of what I would call bogey sides to Blackman Rovers. You know, we never seem to beat Luton. Everybody knows that. Like Ian mentioned, we don't get many results away at Huddersfield. Of course, Burnley will probably already be promoted as champions by the time they come to Ewood, but they'll have all the motivation that they need to uh, to beat Rovers. Preston, of course, uh, a ground where we either win big or lose big, it seems. Are you, are you still confident? Are you still looking forward to the run-in? Do you, uh, um, as my pessimism and Ian's probably pessimism misplaced here, can we do it? I think I think we can do it. I, I don't see why why we can't. I think this season we've we've looked different to the, the last few years in terms of the way we play, but also in terms of the, the the bottle that we seem to have. You know, we if we get a lead, we we can now keep it, which is something that we've not really seen very often in the last few years. So I'm hoping that obviously with the changes that came in the summer and that we've seen all season that it's a different season to what we you know we don't get what we what we're expecting and what we usually get. Hopefully we get we get different results and um, yeah I, I think the Preston game and the Burnley game um, I think that's when it will sort of be decided for me. I think the last couple after that I think it'll already be pretty much sorted by then. I've just got a feeling that that them two games will become. Um, very big in the season, no matter what the results are there. But yeah, I think I think I've no reason why we can't do it. But uh, I wouldn't be too surprised if 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 we do struggle and you know we get the results that we we often get against the sides that we're playing. Of course, it's always going to be interesting to see what number of points it takes to get into the playoff positions. Usually, early seventies. It could be lower this year. Could be higher. Generally, whenever that stat gets thrown around, it generally ends up being about what it normally is for either staying up or going down. But uh, we will see. Ian, just before we sign off for the podcast, I want to come to you for two topics of conversation. One, uh, talking about Sky Sports Rovers, Hull City at home 
on a on a Saturday night at quarter to eight, you're a football purist. You're a die in the wall football fan of many years. Uh, it, uh, has the game gone mad quarter to eight on a Saturday? Money rules, doesn't it? Money rules. I mean, this is this is again a topic we I'd like us to talk about before we get to the end of the season is season tickets and all the rest of it. It's hardly surprising that it's difficult to shift season tickets when you have so few kickoffs that aren't moved. But money talks, as they say. You know, the amount of money that we get as a facilitation fee from Sky makes it quite attractive to accept the um, the proposal that, that we're live on TV. No, that kind of time... If I'm going to watch a match at that time on a Saturday night, I want it to be the European Cup final. But the chances of Ro- Rovers ever being in that... Well, in my lifetime, at least Arsenal to none. Uh, or I want to be sat in Spain or something watching uh, watching a local side kick off, not not Blackburn Rovers on on a Saturday. Night. There are many many things to do with a Saturday evening, and, and watching football isn't one of them. But the three, you know, Saturday three o'clock kickoffs now are the exception, aren't they? Not the norm. Yeah, it's the way of the modern game. Uh, I'm not a big fan of it, but I, you can't take the money from Sky and then sort of say, yeah, but we don't want to ever have our kickoffs moved. That's just an untenable position. So. Sky Sports Rovers, yeah, that that's not really done us any favours, has it being on Sky, generally. No. And I know we managed to book the trend eventually, but it took a while. Um, so that fills me with trepidation. Just on the point of who we've got coming up in the fixtures, I think I'd rather be playing tough opponents, because I think Rovers being Rovers, if we were lined up to play five home games against teams in the bottom eight, say... Mm-hmm. I think we'd all be sat here going, oh, we know what Rovers are like when they play a weak team. <laughs> At least, yeah, we're, we're, we're playing another side who's got something. I, I, if we're going to fail and not get in the playoffs, I'd rather it be because we failed playing tough opponents mm-hmm. than, than cocking up against lower-ranked opponents because then it gives the players a sense of what, what's at stake and you can learn from it. Um, if we then got in the playoffs off the back of this run of fixtures that we got, it would be a terrific achievement and would have us going into the playoffs thinking that we've got a chance against anybody. I think that that would be the really good thing. Luton and Millwall's last two games, though, just, I mean, come on. <laughs> Talk about ugly fixtures. Just oh, awful, well, awful stuff. If you get to the playoffs, you're going to be playing a good team, aren't it? Simple as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. Going to be so you want some practice. Teams. I don't know, I always say it's a rugby analogy, but I always remember Clive Woodward before the 2003 World Cup. He had England going away to play Australia, New Zealand and South Africa because he wanted the players to have the toughest opposition possible so that they were mm-hmm. conditioned and they weren't fearful of meeting any of those sides in the World Cup and it paid off. And I think there's a lot to be said for that philosophy. Play the toughest opponent that you can uh, and test yourself against the very best. And if we come out of it, then we deserve our place. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Just, again, just conscious of time uh, we were i was thinking we could get on to talk about scene tickets but that's going to have to be kicked down the road perhaps to the next podcast uh, great to see rovers releasing ticket details so soon and the offer very generous so credit to the club for that one uh, but just want to come to the panel quickly to talk about the burnley match which is obviously taking place now on the 25th of april tuesday night eight o'clock kickoff at ewood and again ian i'll come straight back to you Two thousand tickets Thoughts? Question mark. I could do thirty minutes on this. Actually, I'll probably prepare material that would enable to do thirty minutes. I'll try and condense it to thirty seconds. I've got a spectrum of hot takes on this, 
And at one end of the spectrum is what a small-minded, petty, shoot-yourself-in-the-foot decision by Rovers. How absolutely awful. What a ridiculous state of affairs that we're going to have three-quarters of the stand empty. We could have made another £100,000, of gate money. That could pay an, you know, uh, an academy player's wages for a year. What a stupid, small-minded decision by Waggett. That's at one end of the spectrum. Then at the other end of the spectrum is, it's hilarious, isn't it? It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. We're, we're, we're doing to them what Burnley do to us, and they don't like it. So, yeah, in terms of tit for tat, eye for an eye, yes, it's hilarious. What should we have done? Um, well, my understanding is that the police said that they were happy if we sold out the full end. So it's not a police decision. It's a Rovers decision. Uh in my heart of hearts, I can't imagine that Alan Shearer would ever have gone to Jack Walker and said, do you know what, when we play Man United, how about we only give them 2,000 tickets because then it will give us a competitive advantage. I think your really big players rise to the challenge and respond and react to vociferous away fans and respond in the right way by sticking the ball in the net right in front of them. You know, see David Dunn for that famous, I wasn't offside, was I goal? Um, so I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, I, th- I think I do think the reaction has been funny, but perfectly understandable. Burnley didn't give us what they could have done, and this is retaliation. It's there yeah, again. That's the way the way of modern life. Who loses out? For Football fans, in reality, yep. because the atmosphere won't be what it could be. <clears throat> you know, the, there are Burnley fans that would have liked to have gone that can't go. But, yeah, let, let's not kid ourselves. Um, I think post-lockdown football crowd behaviour isn't what it needs to be. So the thought of having 5,000 fewer of them in and around Ewood Park when I'm leaving the ground is a source of great comfort, if I'm being perfectly honest. Do, do you have a, a problem with the, the potential issue of Burnley fans being in, say, the Riverside or the Jack Walker stand or the Blackburn end, having not been able to get tickets for the official away support and if, having, fr- having friends or family perhaps who are Rovers fans already on the database? Well, if, if they've got themselves on the database, they would have had to have moved very early um, and bought, bought tickets to, to have done that because I think we shut off. I think it was a question that was asked at the fans' forum. I think we closed off registrations to stop that happening. Um, yeah, are there are there family, friends, or whatever that might hand over the tickets? Yes, conceivably. If I had a season ticket, and I was going to give it to a Burnley fan who was a family or friend. It will be on the strict, you know, put your put your hands in your pockets, zip your coat up, shut up for an hour and a half, don't say a word. If I lose my season ticket, you know, I, I will be knocking on your door uh, asking for for recompense. Um, it may happen. I think in glorious isolation. I, I, you know, again, I'm old enough, and I, 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 I was at Burnley in 1977, sat in the middle of the Bob Lord stand, wearing a Rover scarf. But I, mean, I was only like 13 years old at the time, but I didn't feel any under any threat whatsoever. My granddad, my mother's father, was a Burnley fan. He used to take me to Turf Moor. I'd go to games occasionally. There just wasn't the vitriol and the hatred that seems to have, have grown up. Um, and as I say, my observation of football crowd behaviour since post-COVID uh, is that it's gone backwards several notches. Um, and I think yeah, that, that has to be at the forefront, public safety, yeah, after the Burnley-Blackpool incident, whoever provoked it. And it's just a tragic outcome, irrespective of how we got to that outcome. And the thought of that happening again over a football match is, is just too much to bear. It's sad, but I'm afraid it's it's another marker of where we are in society right now. I sound like a real old fart, don't I? Yeah. Possibly because (laughs) I am. But there we go. Anyway, here endeth the rant. 
Very good. Very good rant. Uh, Matt, you. You, do you have a problem with it yourself? Just short in closing, any any issues? Uh, do you agree with what Ian said? Yeah, I think I've not really... I don't really have my own opinion on it, to be honest, I think. I've sort of just, like like many Rovers fans, just seen the reaction on Twitter and uh, as, as, as Rovers fans have found it, it. It's amusing, the reaction, but it's a totally understandable reaction, I think. There's not many teams in the league that have an away end as big as us, and very rare that it's filled. Mm. Um, obviously, when when it can be filled, you'd like to see it filled. But would it would it jeopardise the performance? Would, would would we play worse if there was if the away fans were louder? You, you just don't know. We won't we won't find out because of that from that game. I think if if like like Ian mentioned, really, if they just sit there and quietly and watch the game, I don't really have too much of a problem with it but the, you know the, the sort of fans that will be that will be that probably will be or, or have tried to get tickets will they do that probably not so if you know if there's trouble it's 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 their fault for being there i suppose it's their fault for for taking the risk james you can bring us home tonight for the podcast your thoughts in terms of uh, the tickets I, I understand burnley's anger but i also find the situation quite funny <laughs> i i have enjoyed looking at watching the reaction on Burnley Twitter but I do understand it obviously having 2,000 Burnley fans there probably takes away some of the atmosphere you would get with a full stand but my hope is that we release Burnley tickets at a reasonable price and try and pack the stadium out with as much home fans as possible so then we can add, then the atmosphere doesn't go away as much, go away as much but yeah I've, I've no issue with it but I do, I, I do understand Burnley's frustrations well, there we go. That's our thoughts on the panel here tonight. A big thank you to the guests for joining me for this week's What Now podcast, part of the 4,000 Holes podcast network. Uh, Ian, James, Matt, big thank you to you and to you, the listener out there. Thanks for joining us. Hope you have a happy Easter, happy Passover, happy Ramadan, whatever you're celebrating at the moment. If not, just have a great weekend and let's hope Rovers can bring home six points against Norwich and Huddersfield. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. I'll see you soon. Bye. Four thousand holes. No longer just a fanzine. Now a podcast too. But you know that you're listening to it. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the ninetieth minute. All you mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.